This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 332. Today, I'm joined by Dalton Lewis to talk hunting Appalachian mountain bucks and the benefits of hunting with a trad bow. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. I hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good right now as I have a uh, a little bit of cold brew here that I'm sipping on this morning. This uh, It's one of my favorite parts of kind of turning from 
I don't even, I mean, I guess we're still in spring, but the weather this past weekend kind of felt summerish. So I kind of flipped the script or turned the page to, uh, to morning cold brew, at least one cup. But I'll tell you what, man, it's, uh, the extra caffeine gets me a little fired up. So I'm kind of vibrating right now as I, as I record this up front, which isn't a bad thing. Cause I have uh jujitsu training here to run to here in a, in, in a short while. So maybe it'll give me just a little extra dose of, um, of energy for, uh, for that. But, uh, killer weekend this past weekend, <clears throat> didn't do anything too crazy. Just the, the weather was beautiful and actually took the dog to, uh, a local kind of close by body of water and let him do some, uh, some swimming. It's always fun to kind of take him out. I remember the first time we actually introduced him to water cause we rescued him. He, he'll turn six this, uh, I think next week or next weekend, I think he turned six. And so we rescued him when he was about a year old and I don't think he'd ever seen water before. And the first time I introduced him to water, I assumed, you know, he's a lab. He'll want to just jump right in and swim. Well, that wasn't really the case. He wasn't really quite sure about the water. We had him at my dad's place when we went on vacation to the Carolinas when he still lived down there. And, uh, and he has a pool and my dad's dog likes to swim and stuff like that. And so it didn't take him long once he kind of like realized that he could swim or recognized that he could swim, that it was just a, an, an innate ability that uh, he, you know, kind of took to it like a duck to water. So now anytime we're near water, you know, it's, it's hell trying to keep him out of it. So my daughter and I actually took him uh, to play a little bit of fetch through his uh, frisbee in and, uh, you know, but it's been a while since he's been swimming. So I kind of had to toss it in at a short distance <clears throat> just to make sure that he would retrieve the thing and bring it back and not try to like swim across this body of water where I'd have to like get in and try to get him because the water, water was still probably just about right for him as far as temperature, way not right for, uh, for me to get into it. But, uh, but yeah, so it was a cool weekend. Didn't get to do anything really too, uh, deer hunting focused this, uh, this past weekend. I'll really kind of probably turn the page after next weekend and start to double down. I mean, my, I've mentioned this, my postseason scouting for a bunch of different reasons has been kind of a little bit of a mess. And Tony and I talked about that a couple episodes ago. Um, but turkey hunting will be right around the corner and I'll kind of use that time to get in the woods and get, uh, finish getting my cameras out and, uh, and things of that nature have a jujitsu tournament next weekend, which will be kind of the last one for the season. And I'll take some time off from, uh, from doing any type of competition and stuff like that. So that'll free up some of my weekends to get back out and, uh, get some additional work done. But speaking of getting trail cameras out, I've mentioned it in the past couple, uh, past couple episodes. If you guys are anything like me, like you probably have a bunch of gear laying around that either isn't getting used or is broken, you know, hunting gear of, you know, of, of different varieties. If you have trail cameras that are laying around that are of whatever brand, you know, and, and they're not working, Exodus gives you a really great opportunity to kind of do, uh, to get involved with their upgrade program um, and actually trade those old trail cameras in that are broken and not working and get uh, some credit toward getting a, a new Exodus trail camera. So, you're probably wondering how the hell does this thing actually work. So in short, <clears throat> you order any camera on excessoutdoorgear.com and use the code UPGRADE, that's U-P-G-R-A-D-E, and you'll save 25% on any Exodus render, render bundle, rival, or rival bunder. After placing your order, the Exodus team will send you a return label for your trading camera. After they receive the camera that you send to them, they'll ship out your full order. So if you're new to Exodus, you know, which I uh, find it hard to believe if you listen to this podcast for any length of time and you don't know much about them, I'll just say this. They have a five-year warranty, a five-year theft and damage coverage, and a best-in-class customer service. I've been using Exodus for seven years now. And it's the most by far reliable camera that uh, truck camera that I've ever, ever used. Specifically, I've been using a lot of the renders and I have a couple rivals to get out this year. And what I like most about 
the cell cameras is that one, they just, they work. And, and, and two, it saves me a ton of time in the woods, you know, from checking trail cameras during the course of the year. I mainly use those in places I don't want to intrude or that are really kind of far back to where it's just like, I'm not going to have time to get back often enough to check those cameras. And so I like to use those cell cameras, um, in those, uh, in those locations. So be sure to take advantage of the unique savings opportunity and, and replace the old junky cameras that you might have laying around with bulletproof and dependable Exodus cameras. This upgrade program is only good for the remainder of April or while supplies last. So make sure you, uh, you get on it. And, uh, as always be sure to head over to their website and sign up for their email newsletter, uh, to stay up to date with all their announcements, I know and have caught wind of some cool things that have come down the pipeline, so you'll want to stay uh, stay tuned for that. So for all the details of this campaign, you can head to exodusoutdoorgear.com slash pages slash program, or you can head to the show notes of this podcast, and I'll have a link in the show notes uh, to get you all the deets. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. Have a have a super cool show for you guys today. Have on my buddy Dalton Lewis from the Stick Boys. Um, I've kind of, <clears throat> I've been kind of following them from afar. You know, you guys probably have heard me have Nathan Killen on before and he's good buddies with those guys. And that's kind of how I learned of them or be- became familiar, uh, familiar with them. And they put out some really killer content on their, on their YouTube channel, some cool hunts some cool, like terrain breakdowns. Dalton's, you know, you know, I, what I really kind of appreciate about their approach is that, you know, Dalton specifically is hunting in an area that isn't really known for, great deer hunting, if you will, but he does have great deer hunting and he does get on some, uh, some really good bucks and he's hunting Appalachia, uh, country of North Carolina. Um, you know, and so it's not too far, you know, it's not very far removed in terms of type of topography and terrain and stuff like that, that, that you've heard Nathan kind of talk about on the podcast and he's, you know, and he's hunting in Virginia and, uh, Dalton just has a passion for chasing, you know, big gnarly, you know, mountain whitetails and more so he has a passion for doing it with a trad bow. And he's been, he's been doing it since a, since a super young age. A lot of people, you know, maybe make that transition as they get a little, you know, later in life. And he had kind of an epiphany at one point, you know, as a, as a younger man, um, that kind of really kind of, uh, drove, drove his change to traditional equipment. Now he started shooting traditional when he was very young. And we talked a little bit about that and then made the full swap. Um, and it's done wonders for his, his bow hunting game and just how he his setups and how dialed in he has to be. But also, you know, in, in his own words, he kind of talked about how it reintroduced the passion uh, for bow hunting that he was afraid that he m- that might start to wane um, using, uh, you know, more technology-driven equipment. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into today's show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I got on a fellow that he was... Uh, so I got, I kind of had to stalk you down a little bit, man. I've been wanting to have you on for, for a little while and had to uh, talk to our mutual buddy, Mr. Nathan Killen, to get uh, Mr. Dalton Lewis's uh, number and contact information from the one and the only, the Stick Boys. What's going on, man? Man, you got me right since I took a drink. Sorry. <laughs> and we just talked about how we've done podcasts. So it's like a veteran thing. I know, right? We can totally redo that if you want. No, we're good. <laughs> we we no, always leave, we leave all great. the stuff in there. <laughs> Perfect. Sorry. Nice. I just had took a big swig, and I was not expecting you to throw it over. But, no, man, I'm glad to be on here. Glad to see you. Um, I hate I was hard to get a hold of, um, but that is I try to stay incognito if I can. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm the I'm the same way, man. I like to stay, I like to keep a low profile as much as as much as possible. The funny yeah. thing was, was um, man, I, I forget. I think it was maybe this fall when I had Nathan on, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, yeah, I just had mentioned to him, I was like, hey, I wanted to get in get in touch with you, and truth be told, he shared your contact information. Then hunting season kind of got rolling, and I just totally like. Right 
lost track of. And then he and I had a text chain going on that like your contact information was like then buried like three months, like in the way up there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so I had to text him, I guess it was like two weeks ago or whatever. I was like, Hey man, can you send me Mm -hmm. his info again, dude? I was like, I want to get him on the podcast. I was like, you know, and I'm a jerk and I lost his info and like, (laughs) and I don't mind reaching out on Instagram, but if I know people who know the people, know people, I like to kind of like do it that way. Cause it seems a little bit personal. I, I completely agree. Yeah. It's, there's a difference there for sure. And if it makes you feel any better, I had to ask for his address like four different times sending him stuff and that for like over the years. And so like I've seen like nine things and I'll still like, Hey, I need your address. I lost it again. And so, right. so yeah. I, I know I, I feel that on a spiritual level, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. Yeah, for sure. My buddy, uh, my buddy, Chad, same way. Like he, we've, he, we've mailed stuff. Him specifically has mailed me all kinds of stuff. Like over, over the years, mm-hmm. we hunt together all the time. We travel to hunt together. And still, mm-hmm. every time that we need to send each other something, we're always like, "Hey, man, what's uh, what's your what's your address again, dude? Like, where do you, where yeah. do you live at again?" Like, I pro- I can't. Yeah, even it's tell like you a cell phone number, you know. Like back in the day, it's like, oh, you could spit out every everybody's number, and now it's like, what's your parents' number? And you're like, ah, uh, I don't know, man. That's no <laughs> I've never used it. I just go to the contact, you know. Yeah. So but t- it's just, you, it's, I guess it's the new society we live in. That's right, man. I, I bet. Uh, I bet if there was a, a big deer associated with that phone number, we'd remember it real quick, though. Absolutely. I can remember everything when it comes to that. But yeah, but Callie calls it selective here. My wife calls it selective hearing and uh, like selective forgetting, I guess. And uh, I think there's some truth to that. But, you know, you know how it goes. Yeah, man. It's my wife makes fun of me, man, because I can remember specific plays from like Steelers games in like the Mm -hmm. 90s that I watched like as a kid, like the exact score, like this certain play that happened, like the guys who were involved. But I have to stop and think like when you ask me, like, when is our anniversary? I'm like, uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. So I don't, I don't mean to start off with any bad feelings, but I am a diehard Cowboys fan. Have been okay. my whole life, yeah. which nobody gets the rivalry unless they know like the old school ball. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up watching like NFL films and stuff. And so I knew that rivalry way back. Yeah. Um, but that's cool. That's fine. I never hear, I never hear other NFL fans, hardly ever. When we're doing these podcasts and stuff, I'll say something about the Cowboys. And they'll just either roll their eyes or they'll they'll be like, I don't really watch NFL. So right. glad to hear I'm not the only one. No, that, you're, you know, you're not alone, man. You're, you're, you're certainly yeah. not alone. Like I, <laughs> so my uh, my fandom has uh, has waned in, in recent years, I guess. Like I'm not as fanatical as I used to be. I still don't really miss a right. game because we can't hunt Sundays in PA. Yeah. I mean, I miss them anytime I'm yeah. travel hunting. But like, you know, in PA, we can't right. hunt Sundays. So Sundays is, you know, is, is, yeah. is Steeler time. But yeah, it's funny that people yeah, don't, that don't know, football. you know, the rivalry that Pittsburgh and the Cowboys have because the people think, well, they're not even in the same conference. Yep. And they're not in the same division. They're not in the same conference. How is there a rivalry? And it's like, well, you had right. the two America's teams that had these dynasties, yep. right? And yep. they became kind of like you were either a Cowboys fan or you were a Steelers fan, you know? Right. There's a really, like, I'm always into like yep. weird, like interesting history. And uh, I saw this, yep. um, uh, it was like a documentary on like Steeler nation, you know, and I would love to see one on the, on the Cowboys. Cause I'm sure it's something similar. I just don't know what it is. And I never knew yeah. what it was for the Steelers either, because I was like, man, it's really weird. Like you have these people who are, you know, big time fans of the Steelers and then, but they've never lived in Pittsburgh. They've never lived in Pennsylvania. Right. Like, so what is that connection? Yeah. So, so you say like, okay, well their family was, it's like, but yeah, but they're like three generations removed from being from yeah. Pennsylvania. So how, what's the connection? And what ended up being was, it was really kind of a cool documentary is that like all the steel mills, still steel mills, of course, 
were a big part of kind of like establishing the country because it was really like Pittsburgh, right. you know, the country's infrastructure, like buildings, railroads and things like that were built on the backs of the steel workers in, in Pittsburgh because right. that's where a lot of the steel yeah. was coming for that. And so when the steel yeah. mills all shut down and it displaced or it displaced like most of the people who lived in Pittsburgh, like they kind of yeah. took like their, their love of the Steelers with them. And so it kind of planted these seeds yeah. of like Steeler fans like across the country. And so it wasn't right. just the love of the Steelers. It was like the love of Pittsburgh and what Pittsburgh contributed to the country as a whole, right. providing all yeah. the steel. And so it became more about football, even more about not even so much about being from Pittsburgh, but what Pittsburgh provided the entire country. And they kind of like, right. that was like very identifiable for that generation. So they made sure to kind of sow those seeds to like all their kids or grandkids and stuff like yeah. that. And that's really how Steeler Nation was born was that way. Yeah, that's a, that's really cool. I mean, so I went to college, I'm a secondary history education major. So like that kind of thing, man, is speaking my language. That actually one of my favorite classes I had in college was talking about fandom and uh, it, it, it focused a lot in South America soccer, but um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that stuff is uh, that's what make America. That's what makes America so awesome is stories like that and, and craziness like that. And you can, when you go back and watch those videos of guys like holding their front teeth and their face just full of blood and like that, you know, that, uh, that grit and that hard knockness about them, it, it came from that same kind of, same kind of drive. So, right. Yeah. Super cool, man. I, yeah. I enjoy that kind of stuff. Awesome, man. And, it, and it's funny now here we are podcasting, you know, continuing to tell stories, you know, cause that's essentially, essentially right, exactly. what we do. So I'm curious, man, with your background, you know, that, that, uh, that mm -hmm. kind of history kind of component and just, you know, it's cause history of course is kind of steeped in culture, right? Like that's kind of like where it's right. kind of birthed from. And so I'm curious yeah from like an academic perspective, when you look at the hunting space and, you know, I guess the, maybe the fascination of big antlers, right? Cause I actually mm -hmm. was just literally talking with Tony Peterson about this on the podcast last week where he's like, you know, he's like, you had the nineties kind of time and maybe even like the early two thousands where trophy hunting really was kind of, um, he didn't say he might've said kill, but like was really kind of strangling the hunting space. Right. It was this like yeah. infatuation <clears throat> with big antlers. He was like, and it was and right. like more power to him, but it was the, the Drury's and the, 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 the Koski's or I can't remember how to say their name, but like it was yeah. the big kind of grow a deer type of like, you know, farms and stuff like that. And, and those right. shows that are associated, he said, his kind of concern is that that same type of mindset now has kind of filtered into like the public hunting space, you know, because, yeah, I, you know, it's I like all of a sudden it's like it was public land and, and it's like, it's mm -hmm. do it for, you know, for reasons that we want to have a, more of a challenge or whatever the case is, or maybe we're just really invested in public lands from yeah. a conservation standpoint or whatever. He was like, but now he's like, you have more and more people focusing on big antlers in the public land space. He was like, and mm -hmm. I'm seeing like a similar trend that we saw in like the nineties and the two thousands where it starts to strangle out hunting to a degree. And so like almost from yeah. a cultural or historical perspective, it'd be interesting for you to do like a, like research on that. Right. Cause that would kind of be an interesting yeah. story to yeah. see like those through lines. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's something there. Um, and I, I can <clears throat> wholeheartedly agree with what he's talking about. Um, that, and that's part of why I, you know, I use the equipment that I use is part of that exact same feeling where it's where I had a very real come to Jesus moment where I was like, what am I doing this for? And that, to me, what I identified was it wasn't the antlers, it was the journey and it was the experience and it was the, the chess match and it was getting beat 99% of the time to win that 1% of the time. 
And that's what it was about for me and <clears throat> the whole experience and not just the end. And and I come from the mountains of North Carolina and we would surprise you with what deer we actually have if they get some age. But, we, you know, we have a, a rifle season that comes in in the very beginning of November and doesn't go out until January. So we're not going to grow giant deer. I mean, with those those kind of laws, it's just not going to happen. Um, but what I realized was even so what what i still identified as a trophy wouldn't be a trophy in other states but to me i was just as prideful and just as excited over that as i would be a booner in somewhere like iowa um or you know indiana or somewhere that's that's got a lot of big bucks you know kansas or something um but no i definitely think there's something there and we always we always self um i don't know how to explain it we kind of reset and I think there will be a point where we reset again. We, you know, we reset and everybody got on the, they, I've heard people call it horn porn. They got on the, you know, huge antlers, like you said. And then it got to a point where it's like, okay, I own 10 acres in, you know, the mountains of North Carolina. Me killing 130 inch deer might happen twice, three times in my entire life. I can't hold out for 130 inch deer every year. And so it's either, okay, I either A, quit because I'm not achieving the goals that I want to achieve. Or B, I modify those goals and figure out something else. And so, no, I think there's, I think there's definitely something to that. That's a fascinating research project, um, and I think that you and I both will see that reset where something's going to change. Something's going to change. I don't think the way we're going is sustainable. Yeah, and that's kind of what he was saying. And that's, and I think his fear, and I don't want to speak for Tony, um, but I think his fear was is he, he could see during the, you know, because Tony's been a public land hunter for like all of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he hunts on some you know, buy permission stuff and, and, and things like that. And I know he right. recently, I think within like the past year or so, bought like a small piece that he um, does some stuff on, especially like with his girls and his, his young girls and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, what we were kind of talking about or what he had mentioned was is that, you know, he could see the reset coming and he could kind of see that the reset was going to be like people are going to kind of get into the experience of public land. But then he also always yeah. knew in the back of his mind because he's been in the space so long, like how long does it take for the same things that are strangling this like public land kind of piece, mm-hmm. how long does it take until it, until it comes into the public land space, you know? And then right. I think where his fear kind of, I don't want to say fear, but like, I think where his trepidation lies is going, I don't know what the next reset is. Like, yeah. Because I asked him that, you know, I was what literally asking him, I was like, what are we going to do? I was like, are people going to just start hunting pheasants? All of us, you know, like we're just going to change yeah. completely. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. He's like, I think that that's the scary part is like, I don't know that there's a natural kind of reset progression, you know, that, that takes yeah. place necessarily. Right. I no, I agree with him that it is scary. I've got an 18 month old little girl and it's terrifying to, uh, you know, I, I like I hunt, I hunt public and private, but <clears throat> you know, the pop, the private pieces are, are harder and harder to come by. I'm only 30 years old, but when I was a kid, you could hunt about anywhere you wanted to. As long as you weren't an idiot and you weren't doing stupid things, you could pretty much hunt just about. I mean, there was places where you couldn't, but for the most part, if you went up and asked, they would let you hunt. And um, and so, but now, you know, it's nothing like that. And it is concerning with an 18-month-old daughter is what are, what have, what am I going to give her? Like, what are we going to, um, how am I going to teach her this, teach her this love, teach her this, what I'm obsessed with, um, when, when everything has changed so much and, and especially somewhere like I live, you know, if we lost all of our private spots, there's only two places with, within 45 minutes that's public that I could hunt. Right. Um, maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Maybe there's three, but 
right. still, <clears throat> you know, if you're hard pressed to get a little kid excited about going, you know, to to bump elbows with a guy, uh, going, you know, at a parking lot. But right. I don't know. I, I definitely think. But the one thing that gives me hope, though, is hunters have always figured it out. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's there's always been these. You know, I, and you can read back on the 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 Daniel Boone um, journals and. And, and, and I, you know, the, the ultimate irony was his adventures and his stories were ultimately leading to the death of what he loves so much. Mm-hmm. And, but even then hunters figured it out. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. We can't kill every daggum thing that's here because it's not sustainable. They're going to be gone. And I kind of like this. This is kind of, you know, transcendentalism. This is kind of what's making America, America. This is what this new world is. And we're killing it. You know, we got to stop. We got to reassess. Let's, you know, let's maybe only kill however many, you know. And so we figured it out. And the same thing's happening with turkeys. I don't know what the, I think you're in PA, right? I, yeah. The, I don't know what the turkeys are doing in PA, but in North Carolina, we used to be stupid with turkeys. I mean, stupid with turkeys. Like, I, that's how I, why I started shooting with a stick bow was because if I went with a shotgun, anybody that could choke on a mouth call could be tagged out. But the second day they went hunting easy with a shotgun because there was right. just so many turkeys. And then, you know, I think it was a combination of things, but our population just absolutely got decimated. There was just nothing. But this spring, I'm so excited. We're three days in, and I have saw 11 jakes. And I can't tell you, it's been four years for me to see 11 jakes. The last four years, I haven't seen 11 jakes. But if you talk to every hunter, it's like, what are you doing this winter? Well, I'm trapping coons and possums. I'm trying to take care of these nest predators. I'd, I'd really want to get more turkeys on my place. I would really like to have more grouse, stuff like that. And, hey, that's coming from hunters. So right. that's my that's my thing that's like I'm I'm a <laughs> and you'll find this out probably from tonight talking about hunting stuff. I am an unrealistically optimistic person. Like I am a ultra positive, look on the bright side. You have nothing else to lose. You might as well be positive. And that's one of them is like we've always figured it out. So whatever it is, I think we'll figure it out. So right. one way or the other, I think we'll step back and say, hey, this isn't as good. I, I'm not, you know, I, I want my daughter to experience this. So let's do what we got to do. You know, right. so that's yeah. my ultimate positivity is I, I think we'll figure it out, even right. though it's going to be we're, we're probably not going to get to do some of the things or, you know, it may not be that comfortable, but I think we'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that, you know, things tend to seem to, you know, figure out a way to work to work themselves out, you know, however it however it happens to yeah. manifest. I think the one area that that does give me concern is just. We're kind of at the, you know the back end and I don't even know if it's the back end, but I mean, if you think about people who are growing up, like I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, like hunting was just part of what, mm-hmm. what I did. You know, it was like you turned 12 yeah. years old, like you started, you started hunting, you know, and you started going out in the, in the woods with your right. dad, you know, way before that. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. So, you know, it was, it was, this would have been like the like early nineties or whatever. Um, yeah. but obviously with more and more people coming from, you know, urban areas or, or suburban areas, right? Like I got into yeah. hunting just because I walked out my back door and that was all I, all I did. I mean, I had to go make my own fun. There weren't neighbors to go play yeah. with or whatever. Yeah. It was just like, get the dog, go walk out into the woods, yeah. get lost yeah. for a couple hours, just be home by dinner. That was, that was, that it. was the life, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the and best now, childhood you could ever have. Yeah, exactly. And now, you know, <clears throat> I think there's an increase of course of an in, in interest in hunting. I see it at least with like just people that yeah. I'm friends with around here where it's like, they find out that you hunt, mm-hmm. they express like an interest in like, they like to eat wild game or whatever right. the case is and they want to go. But my challenge is always like right now, it's almost like the point of what you said, which is 
like I want to give them a good experience. I don't have any access to, yeah. to any private close to me. Like my family owns a couple hundred acres back in like central PA, like a, a farm and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't really get back there uh, to, to hunt just because of the, the, the travel or whatever. But locally, yeah, yeah. I don't have anywhere to take somebody that I would feel right. real good about one, you know, it being super, super safe because it's, I live in like a suburban area, like outside of Philadelphia. So like the public right. pieces we do yeah. have are just packed. Right. And so what type yeah. of experience am I going to give that person? And chances are we're probably not going to see anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've turkey hunted some of the places around yeah. here and seeing turkeys, not, uh, yeah. not that there aren't turkeys. It's just the amount of pressure that they yeah, get. Sure. You know what I mean? Like you're just going to have a real yeah. hard time finding them. Like I guess it was two right. years ago I went out and I had one roosted <clears> and uh, I was sitting, wait for it to fly down. And, and I watched a guy, I was in a ghillie jacket and I watched a guy walk within five yards of me, walk right by me. And it yeah. was like walking to the yeah. bird. You know what I mean? Like, and I was, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, all right, well, my day is done. Like this is the bird I had roosted. And it was like the once. it was like this little corner spot. Actually, I didn't even find it. My buddy ended up roosting a couple birds, like a week before the season. And he was like, Hey, I roosted a bird over here. I'm going to go over to this yeah. spot. He's like, I would go over to the, you know, this, this little corner piece. He's like, it's only like 15 acres of, of public, but it's like this corner yeah. piece. It's kind of like disconnected. And I was like, perfect. Right. I was like, no one's going to be in there. It's like so small. Like no one would even think to go there. Nope. Like some guy walks yeah. right behind me, like <laughs> right as like it's cracking light and that bird's getting ready to fly down. You know? Yeah. But, oh man. And so yeah. like, I think about that it. type of stuff when you're trying to get someone into it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they expect this different type of experience that they've kind of yeah. heard of. Right. And I had another buddy that I took right. out a couple years ago. It was his first time ever hunting. And we did have a small private piece we could take him on. And like that mm-hmm. experience was like, he still talks about it. We didn't kill anything, but we saw yeah. like a fox. We heard some turkeys, you know, we caught a couple, just yep. couldn't get anything to commit. And the biggest thing for him was, is he was like, just even walking in in the dark, he's like, I've never walked into the forest before in the pitch black. Like that was new oh, for man. Him without seeing somebody yeah. and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And so right. it was that like, yeah. we weren't out, in the, we were still in the suburbs. Like we were, you know, in a small little lot or whatever. But for him, that felt super remote. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, I felt like, oh, you know, I could like almost drive a golf ball to like somebody's house if I really had to, you know, right? <laughs> not quite like that, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, but for him, that was like, that was being out there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. and that's the, so even though we didn't see anything, it was that experience yeah. for him. And it's like, how do you get people who that's the thing that they want? Right. Cause it's like, you can stomach yeah. not seeing critters if you get like that halo experience. And he got that. You know, but it was only because we had a private piece to go to. If we weren't any of the public pieces, it's like we would have, we would have got stepped on. Yeah. It's, it's a fine line because you, you know, the other, the the other side of that, I mean, you don't really want them. If you, if this is, if if somebody is really going to be a hunter, they don't need to have success right away. That is the worst thing. That is worse than getting completely gar hold and it's the worst experience ever. Um, And I see that constantly because I'm, I'm a middle school teacher and I see these kids their first and last deer is a 140 inch hammer mm-hmm. that their daddy, you know, had nailed down. He, you know, probably coming to a corn pile. They get out on youth day on September 28th every year and they, they shoot 243 at 80 yards. And it's like your first deer is a five and a half year old, absolute mount, mountain hammer. And that's the deer. That's their first and last deer that like they will not kill another deer because they do not care about it. Nobody cares about that. If it's that easy, it has no value to you. Right. And so there's a really fine line there. That's like, 
you can't torture them, but you also can't. Um, if again, if if you want them to continue hunting, there there's a fine line that and that's a line that everybody's got to find. Like my daughter, I have laid in bed at night, toss and turn, thinking how I'm going to approach this. Um, and what I think I'm going to do is I have her in the woods with me constantly, but I think I'm going to just take her with me hunting. And I'm still a shooter, but she's just she's going to be with me and experience mm-hmm. everything. And then when she gets older and she understands what we've done, the preparation we put in, the scouting we've put in, then it'll actually mean something to her. And uh, I don't know. There's, there's so there's that's such a fine line, but it's so important because we've got to pass this thing on. You know, like we, you know, my my girl's name Clementine. Clementine, Clementine's the future, and these kids are the future. And if we don't, you know, and these hunters like your friends you're talking about. If we don't give them some sort of experience or something that they can carry on, then it dies with us. And right. those numbers are falling off quick. And that that's a scary thing too, you know, talking about the future. But anyways, yeah. that's a that's a it's a deep topic, conundrum, man. man. Well, that was a, that was a deep a one deep to get started topic. with. It really is. <laughs> it is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was well, whatever. <laughs> right. The yeah. uh I, I think the cool thing Anyways, was, didn't mean to pull you down some giant rabbit hole. No, no, but, it's fine. Like <clears> I was just gonna say, like my buddy who I who I took who had the you know, the good experience, the the cool experience, you know, he didn't necessarily start hunting because he was also like, there's a barrier to entry to some of that stuff. And I get it, but he started yeah. fishing religiously and like got into like super into yeah. like fly fishing. And so, and it was right yeah. after that to where he like got kind of back into the outdoors. He was always kind of like into like outdoor, yeah. like water sports. Cause he grew up in up around, I think like the finger lakes in New York. Yeah. Um, and so he was always kind of outside doing stuff, hiking and stuff like that, but he never really got into like, hunting or fishing or whatever and so after that he really yeah. kind of like last time i saw him he's like dude he's like i've got so much like fishing tackle it's like stupid yeah. i'm like really I'm that's like, awesome. I, never, I never took you for fishing he's like no dude he's like i give every chance i get you know um that's awesome man. yeah so that's good you know, so i'm glad he you know kind of took that but what was more important for me was that you know that you know because his his wife is a big non-hunter like against it like she was yeah. actually not cool with him even going to like on the hunt with me, like the turkey right. hunt, like in the first place. Yeah. Um, the way we kind of softened her up was we actually had like a, uh, a, a wild game dinner at our house where we had some friends right. over. That's did a like, great way to do it. Did like a wine yeah. tasting paired with it all, you know, made a little event out right. of it. We basically, my one friend Wilson came over and he was the only other hunter. And basically everyone else we invited were all non hunters and we had them all over for dinner, yeah. you know, and that's a great that, idea. And she was like, oh, so the two of you, one of you killed like everything that we're having. It's like, yep. You know, and she was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, and so she became okay with yeah. him like going out and uh, and trying it. So at minimum, mm-hmm. what we did was, is we created at least a neutral home, which was like the, the goal. Right. You know what I mean? Like get him a little bit into yeah. hunting. He's fishing. She's kind of okay with it as long as it's like a food aspect to it. Yep. And so now that's a neutral home, you know, as, as far as like hunting yeah. and hunting privileges go. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Right. Yeah. That's so, that's a that's a great plan, man. Yeah. So man, I know you alluded to uh we're already down the rabbit hole here, but I want to back up for a second because you mentioned your yeah. middle school teacher, right? And I and and yes, you're sir. from North Carolina, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So born and raised? 
Born and raised, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll die here as far as I'm concerned. Unless nice. Unless Lord changes something else. That's right. where, where I'll be buried in these hills and hollers somewhere. Nice. Yeah, but, I, so <clears> I, I was actually born in North Carolina myself. I was born in Charleston is where I was born. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, my dad was... Uh, yeah, in so the- I'm up in... Uh, I'm up around Boone. I'm okay. up in the mountains. All right. We're actually... Uh, yeah, we're actually... Well, the football field's at 33, 33, 3,333 feet, so... A lot of the places we hunt, a lot of people don't realize that North Carolina has that kind of elevation. And actually, some of the places I hunt are up at, you know, 4,000 feet, wow. um, uh, some of the some of the public here local. So, yeah, we got a little elevation, and it's, uh, I love it here, man. This is, this is home. Nice. How, uh, how close to Banner Elk are you? Banner Elk. I don't know how far Pretty away. close. Uh, about a, it's, yeah, it's not far. It's probably 50 minutes. Yeah, okay. it's on the other side of Boone from me. Okay. Yeah, that that's the only part of the mountains I've been in 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 the, in the Carolinas. A buddy of mine got married there, and I was like, "It's probably one of the most beautiful yeah, places I've ever the, been to." Oh, it's gorgeous, but it is hoity-toity. That ain't nothing like that ain't nothing like where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, that's big money over there. I think Eric Church has a uh, has a house over there. Tom Shula or uh, Don Shula has a house over there. That is fancy town over there. Famous people and expensive views. But yeah, yeah. So I, I was on there. I'm a little bit. So we're we're north of that, so it's very rural and uh, small town feel. Okay, but, yeah, I was I was uh, I was only invited for a wedding. I, I I still I wouldn't be able to hang out there. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that man have to have a lot of money hang out there. <laughs> right, right. So, man, but, how so? How did you you know born and raised? How did you start hunting? Was that something that was just like family oriented, <laughs> like? it was going to happen regardless or, you know, did oh, you start Lord. a different way? Man, there was, I was absolutely hopeless. So my dad uh, has hunted. He taught himself how to hunt when he was a little boy. He just, he loved it. Nobody around him hunted. He taught himself. Well, when he found out that I was, that, that my mom was pregnant with me, um, he went out and uh, made me a hickory self bow. And uh, that was my first bow. So when he found out I was pre- that she was pregnant, she went and you know made that bow. And then that one I had was came out of the womb, man. I had a bow, and it's uh, <laughs> there's pictures of me at four years old standing in dad's camo in a tree stand. It's like two feet off the ground, head to toe in dad's camo, and you can imagine what a three four year old kid looks like standing in adult camo <laughs> with a self bow and uh, sitting there. And dad said, I sat there for hours and he'd come out there and he's like, son, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm squirrel hunting. <laughs> I was in the yard, you know, but that's, I, I, I never had a chance. There was no option. It's just, I have, I don't really know where it came from, but there was never any option. And I don't know in 30 years of life, if there's ever been a day where bow hunting or, or whitetails have not crossed my mind at some point, some kind of game as sick and as twisted as that sounds, um, that. It's been an obsession. Nice. What was, uh, take me back to your first hunt that you can remember. What's the first hunt you remember? Our, uh, I guess the first time I ever went hunting, um, I was, I was five or six, I think I was six years old. I think I can't remember. I think I was six years old. Dad took me an old hemlock. I could take you to the hemlock, uh, out this ridge and, you know, at the time it was, uh, I guess it was 1998 cause I was born in 92 and, uh, he tied a rope around my waist and he went up first up the hemlock. Now keep in mind, some of you'll probably like, Oh my God, terrible parenting. But this guy's kind of hemlock that you'd have to try to hit the ground. Like mm-hmm. if you fail, you're going to hit like 94 limbs on the way down. Right. So he 
he went on up and he tied a rope around my waist and he just kept the slack tight as I came up the tree so I wouldn't fall. And then when I got to the stand, I was too little to sit on the seat. So he sat me on the, the platform and tied me to the tree so that I couldn't move or so that I couldn't, you know, fall out. And uh, we sat there and, and we had, I, I'll never forget, there was a bunch of deer coming. We could hear them coming, leaves were dry. And I looked over at dad and dad's like, you know, be quiet, you know, they're coming, they're coming. And about the time I remember big old doe coming around the corner, I'm hitting him going, daddy, daddy, there they are, there they are. And he said <laughs> that they, he said they come out of their skin. You know, obviously you got a kid, you know, yelling, there they are. And uh, he just, he just kind of chuckled and those deer took off. And uh, that was, uh, that was the first experience in a tree stand. And I actually killed, I guess it was a couple or three years later, whenever I could draw the legal minimum legal draw weight, which was, I think, 35 or 40 pounds. I can't remember. Um, whenever I could draw that, I killed my first deer out of that same tree, actually. First deer of the bow is a little six point. And uh, but no, that that's a special place to me. It's in somebody's yard now. I want to I wish I honestly if I, I, I thought about I want to go cut that tree down and uh, or because it's it's a hemlock. We all our hemlocks have a. Uh, have that fungus on them, so they're all they're all dying. Yeah. So I, I've often thought, I wonder what if I could get a hold of that hemlock and make something out of it. But that anyways, pretty, that's how I got started. <laughs> that'd be pretty cool, man. If you could cut that tree down and make something out of it, that would be yeah. rad. You know, like some some furniture or something. Yeah, that but, would be awesome. I would really enjoy that. But right, man. So you basically came out out the womb with a trad bow essentially. But when did you make the transition to traditional archery kind of ex exclusively? So, yeah, I came out, had a self bow and, and got pretty good with it. Um, but I knew that I could hunt quicker with a compound as far as the legal minimum went. So I, uh, actually my first, uh, bow kill, um, was a little six point is with old PSE Nova, the ones with the solid cams i don't know if you remember those bows seemed like everybody had one of those old PSE novas and uh so that was what you know that happened and <clears throat> um and I, I mean i'll be honest with you and i don't want this to come across as arrogance because it's not in any way um uh, when i was growing up we had an insane amount of deer and um and still in areas we do have still have an insane amount of deer and um so we you know got on for several different things you know had taken a lot of deer um, by the time I got in early high school and that I'll never forget. There was two things that really pushed me to traditional big time. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. And I had a hundred, 110 inch eight point. And I was back on a mountain about 110 inch eight point, something like that. You know, just a good mountain, solid shooter, nothing crazy, but just a good solid mountain buck comes by. And I remember hanging my bow back up because it just wasn't there. And I'm like, he's just not tearing me up. And I hated that feeling. And when I got down on that tree tonight, I, that night, I said, something has got to change because that something's wrong. Like that, it's just not there. And I'll, I'll never forget, I, I shot several does that year and I shot a doe, I pulled back, you know, I put the pin on her, squeeze, pulled through. She made it 50 yards, tipped over. And I remember just kind of looking at her and nodding my head and just thinking about the work that was coming. And I realized right then that I was going down a very scary road to me because something that had been so much a part of my DNA my entire life suddenly became boring. And I know that my brain immediately, my brain said, and again, 
do not take this offensively, and nobody listening to this take this offensively because it is different for everybody. But I thought shooting that deer right there was just like I had a rifle. That I mean, it, it, I put the pin on it, I pulled through, fog, it's over, you know. And that just to me, it almost ripped my heart out because I just I didn't have the feeling that I had as a kid. And so I watched some, you know, everybody watches videos, and I remember watching some videos with uh, Barry and Gene uh, Wenzel, and it's cool. I, I love this, you know, getting to do podcasts and stuff like that. I get to actually meet some of these people. And so I met, you know, got to talk to Gene and Barry several times. But I got to see Gene and Barry, and Barry Wenzel, and some of you may know him, some of you not, but he's the, uh, he killed some monster deer. Google him, you'll be amazed. Um, but he shoots, you know, they shoot tall times recurves. And I remember watching him, he killed a 10-point in Texas. And uh, with a stick bow and I, you know, and I had that, I always had a stick bow. It's not like I didn't always have it, but I was like, you know what? That would be fun again. That would be, that would bring it back to life. And so I started shooting like crazy. And that year I killed a doe with it. It was a little fawn doe. I'll be honest with you. She might've been 80 pounds soaking Mm -hmm. wet and uh, made a perfect, actually uh, I missed her the first shot, shot underneath her. And uh, she gave me another shot and I 12 ringed her and she made it you know, 60 or 80 yards and crashed. And I'm going to tell you, I nearly come out of that tree. Like I was so excited and so <laughs> pumped and my heart was coming out of my chest. Now keep in mind, I'd killed some pretty good deer at the time, but that, that beat all of those good deer. And I was like, this is absolutely awesome. And <clears throat> ever since that point, I don't want to hunt with anything else. I don't know. And it's, it's not that I have anything against anybody. I don't, I don't that I think that I'm better than anybody. I don't, I just really, really, really enjoy that stick bow. I enjoy the, the journey behind it. I enjoy the the fact that I have to that I have to keep shooting all year. Um, I enjoy the fact that that tr- that that bow was as much alive as I am. Um, I enjoy everything about that that aspect of it, and um, and I don't know why that, but it's made um, it, it it's made me so much better of a bow hunter. And I've heard people, you know, on YouTube um, on a YouTube video, people comment or something like that. You know, it's like, well, you're handicapping yourself. And what I've always told people is. Um, no, I'm really not. Um, I mean, I am, you know, technically by range limitation, but I, I think I would be limiting to myself, limiting myself as a bow hunter if I would have never made that change. Um, and the reason I say that is because I've learned so many little nuances that I'd have never learned if I could have killed the deer at 60 yards or 50 yards or 40 yards. Like to me, if I know a buck is coming across, let's say I pegged down the thick side of a thick side of a bench and I know he's going to, he's going to come on the the bottom side because it's north facing slope and those thermals are coming down and I know he's going to be right there. Well, it's not good enough to know that he's coming through that area. I have to know where he's going to put his feet because I need to be over his back. Like I need to be within 20 yards. And to me, I just dig that challenge. Like that is right up my alley. And that means I'm going to get beat 99% of the time. That means that I'm going to fail and I'm and it's not going to work out. And to me, I love that. Like that challenge and that extra thing, like that does it for me. I don't, I don't know what it is. And then of course, when it all comes together, it's fantastic. And uh, but like I said, it's it's not about that for me. It's it's about the journey and and the experience. And I get you know I'm sitting here smiling thinking about it because I just I, I don't know I get ate up with it. And uh, that started me down the the road of of you know uh, chasing turkeys with one as well. And it's the same concept. You know I'm getting them into four or five yards, <laughs> and I just love that. Like that's part of it. I don't know, but right. again, I I don't have anything. I, I feel like a lot of times traditional bow hunters get a uh, get a bad rap as being elitist and i'll be honest with you some of them are mm-hmm. um but i don't ever want that tag uh because i 
Hey, that's just me. I, I'm a I'm I'm a weirdo. I know. <laughs> I like to make things more difficult than it is. But I just I don't know. I I just I enjoy the heck out of it, man. And that's what I go by. If I ever quit enjoying it, I'll figure out something else. You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, my buddy. Um, I had him on the show. His name is Michael Michael Verde. Um, he was uh okay. He shot a for years like a compound, and he got he got the yips essentially. You know where he was making bad shots. Yes. And what actually he was always killing good deer he's just like one of those guys like he's from new jersey not a state that's known for big deer but he manages to find yeah big deer all the time right um and uh he switched to a traditional bow i want to say this was like yeah. uh i apologize to him if i'm getting this wrong but i want to say this is maybe his fourth year or maybe his fifth year was right. a stick i think it was maybe four i want to say he's killed something like six like hammer bucks in four years with a stick bow like his rate of killing good deer skyrocketed as soon as he started shooting a stick bow well there there is a there there's something to that and i'll be honest with you and again i i I feel like somebody may take this offensively but i think there's something to that because you have to be better i mean you have to work harder like Mm -hmm. and and that's only going to make you better if you go to an nfl practice you know we're talking about the cowboys and steelers if you go to either the Cowboys or the Steelers football field, you will notice that the the uprights for the, in their practice field are like half as wide as the uprights in a real live NFL game. Yeah. And that's because if they can hit the little one, they can hit the big one, right? Yeah. And traditional bow hunting to me is the exact same way. Um, it makes you, it narrows everything down and it, may, it has, it, it, it takes so much more, like it's so much more in depth. And for some people, that's a huge turnoff um, because they, you know, they, they don't want that. They want every opportunity they can get. And and I don't blame them for that. But for some people, that's, oh, that just adds more to it. But I'll be honest with you, um, the best bow hunters, I know a lot of really good bow hunters, and a lot of them, they will tell you the same thing, that it's it's just that they love that journey, man. And they love that. And I bet you he would say the same thing. It's just it's just fun, too. Like, we did a, we did a workshop with Timber Ninja here a couple weeks ago, and they were like, six or eight traditional guys there and of course we brought our bows with our judo points and uh so like every 10 minute break we would give we would run out and giggle like little schoolgirls to grab our bows and go shoot dandelions in this wedding venues uh yard and we're just like i mean grown nathan killen's one of them like grown men all of these guys have killed big deer and we're just giggling and laughing shooting dandelions and shooting at them and who can hit get closest or whatever and you would not believe the amount of guys that came over there and they're like First of all, what is wrong with you people? And number one, can I play with that? <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's just fun, man. You know, I guess that's I guess that to me is part of it as well. It's just you can pick up a stick bow and shoot all daggum day. Like you can just shoot and you'll grin and laugh and grin and just keep shooting, and it's fun. And you know, with a compound, I never really had that. Like I'd I'd get it uh, tuned, I'd get it dialed in, and you know, I would shoot. And and it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it's not that I'd shoot it all day. You right, know, I'd right. hit the same spot a couple times and be like, well, that's good enough. So yeah, yeah. My buddy, uh, anyways, my buddy Todd keeps like edging because, like, I've talked about this a couple different times on the podcast, and so my buddies who do, you know, uh, hunt with traditional equipment are always kind of like nudging me, like, "Hey, man, you've talked about it a couple times. When, like, when you gonna make the switch?" Yeah. And my and my buddy Todd's like, "Dude, I got an extra bow. It's in my shop. Yeah, I got it all dialed in, waiting for you. Like, I cleaned it up, got it all ready. Like, she's yeah. just she's just waiting for you to tell me when you're ready. You know, yep. <laughs> and I don't really have a reason not to. Um, you know, I just, 
I don't have a good reason not to. That's just, I guess I should just stop right there, you know, because yeah. like uh, the, yeah. the next thing after that is me trying to come up with a reason not to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. And I, I'll be honest with you. When I first made the switch, I would take my compound um, and my bow and, and my stick bow. And, uh, and I kind of had this thing where it's like, well, you know, if, if a big deer comes by, you know, 30 yards or something, I can still make the shot. And I did that for like a few hunts. And then I realized um, that I would rather just not have it, if that makes any sense. No, 100% than to makes sense. Go through all that and to not, like, I was okay with that deer coming by out of range. Like, yeah. I'll be honest with you, I had a buck <clears throat> here locally, big old five, six year old kind of deer, had a couple years of history with the deer. Um, I had him dialed. I mean, I, I was in his bedroom. Um, I, I was extremely careful with my entry and exit. Um, I knew exactly, exactly where he, and I, I had him was just, oh man, this is just my favorite buck to hunt. And I had him under 20 yards, three different times. And I never killed that deer. And because I, a couple, one of the times it got dark on me, one of the times I couldn't get an angle, he was chasing a doe. Um, and the third time I had him at 24 yards, I needed two more steps. I mean, I'm like putting tension on the string, cameras are rolling, everything's great. And a spike walks underneath me and bristles up at that buck i have no idea and this is probably a 115 120 inch buck but he's a big mature buck he's not it's he's just he's just not got the genetics that a lot of bucks do like in the midwest big old mountain warrior and when that spike bristled up well you can imagine what he did he bristled up and walked right to that spike and i couldn't get a shot and i sat there and this was during muzzleloading season actually this was during gun season i hung my bow up and I, you know, I, I was talking to my, I always talk to my wife in the stand and she's like, well, are you disappointed? And I said, no, I'm really not. I'm, I'm not disappointed. It just, it just wasn't meant to be. And that, you know, I could have killed it with a compound. I could have killed it with a, with a muzzleloader. I could have killed it with anything other than what I was hunting with, but that, that was just part of it. And that journey was just, you know, I was talking to Alan Altizer, uh, good friend of mine and Nathan's and, uh, and you know, that's, and that's the first thing he said. He said, well, you won. He said, you won the game. He said, the deer, you, you didn't take the deer home, but you won the game. He said, hang your head up high. He said, you did all you can do. And he said, that's, you know, you're, you you know, be proud of yourself. Yeah. And I was, and I, I really enjoy thinking back on that hunt, even though his antlers aren't behind me, I'm okay with that, you know? And so think, that's, that's part of the game that a lot of people got, you know, I, we have people message sick boys accounts all the time. And it's like kind of the same thing. What do you think? You know, and, and I always tell them picture, your dream buck walking by at 35 yards and you can't get a shot with a stick bow. You can't shoot that far. Are you okay with it? Or are you throwing that thing out of the tree? You know, and that's just a real honest answer. You got to think, you know what I mean? Just that's, that's, that's the question. And if it's, if you're okay with it and you're like, well, I'm in it for the experience. It didn't happen. Then, you know, you're ready. And if yeah. you're like, no, I'd throw that thing out of the tree and, and cry a river, then, you know, you're not ready. <laughs> right, so, right. And there's nothing wrong either way. I mean, I feel like, again, I, I, I don't want to come across as like an elitist snob because I know that trad guys get that rep. And sometimes, believe me, I know it's deserved. But, you know, I don't want to I don't want to come across as that at all. No, but, and you're and you're and you're not. I think it's helpful, like if people are thinking about it to kind of have the right the right perspective, because I know for me, you know, the one of the draws for me to want to eventually at some point, you know, shoot traditional equipment yeah. is. I've started kind of going to Kansas as often as I can. Like I, I love hunting my home state of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I love hunting like, you know, the different states that I've been to, but there's something about the wide yeah. open plains 
and trying to yeah. spot and stop them on cool the ground. Country. It's just like, yeah. it's... Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com There's, I don't know, man, like it's like a drug, like for me at least, you know what I mean? Like having that kind of experience where I can see one, try to figure out where he's yeah. pinned down at and then try to go get him, you know, or outsmart them and like, you know, get into the right draw. Mm-hmm. Cause they're cutting those out. And I know they're going to want to come to this draw, like whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And I just have this, I think the pinnacle for me or not the pinnacle, but like the experience that I'm kind of chasing, I think right now to a degree is doing it on the ground in Kansas. Cause I've had like, I guess three really good opportunities the past two seasons that just didn't yeah. work, that just didn't work out. And right like the end all be all for me would be to do it on the ground in close quarters with a stick bow. You know what I mean? Like to me, yeah. that would be like the ultimate, you know, yeah. and like, I can see that. Yeah. And like this year, it's like, I had that experience that you're talking about. And I think that that's important. Like what you said, like, you know, when you, I think even if like, you're not moving to traditional equipment, if you're even just trying to level up the caliber of deer, maybe you're chasing or age class you're chasing, mm-hmm. right. Is yeah. that you got to be willing to look at, success and beating them in a, di- in a different way. Right. Because yeah. those, those old bucks, especially, you know, there's some mountain ground that I hunt like up and around the Poconos and stuff like that. And it's like, it's the same thing, man. Those bucks don't make a lot of mistakes, you know? So if you get within, no, bo- if you get within bow range of one, like you won, you know, you like you, you beat yeah. him at his game, you know? And I had yeah. that happen in Kansas this year where I had this deer beat and we just showed up the same spot at the same time with, a little bit of yeah. like a little bit of moonlight to where I could see him. He couldn't see me and I waited him out and I had him at 20 yards snort wheeze and I just didn't have enough light to shoot and he walked yeah. away. And right. that was like a mid one fifties inch Kansas giant. Like, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, throb. yeah, the, the, the whole yeah. reason why you go to Kansas, I had the whole experience yep. except just did not have enough light to get a, to be able to get a shot off, you know? Right. And, um, yeah. And it was kind of in that moment where I was like, to your point, you know, I was like, if I'm okay with that happening, like, I think I'm yeah. like this close to being okay it. with making yep. the switch. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're going to find is, and it's, it's extremely rewarding. Like in it, it, and, and everything like that's rewarding when you, when you win the game, but I don't know what it is about that, but, and, and you're so, it's so personal with it's, it's an intimate weapon. I think there's a guy on YouTube that described it that way. It's an intimate weapon. A lot of the things you had a hand in, like, you know, it's, I'm not shooting wood arrows. Um, or stone points. Uh, I know a lot of guys that do, but um, but like the broadhead, I sharpened it. I probably killed, you know, most of them. I get three to five big game animals out of out of each head and an arrow combo, and I've resharpened them myself. You know, I've cleaned them off steel wool. I've done that. But you know, the the feathers on the back is a turkey that I killed last spring with a stick bow, and you know, like that that's been worked up, and so that's part of it. Is like that you you were a part of it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like it wasn't just a bunch of stuff thrown together. Like it's, it's kind of intimate. It's kind of part of you in a way. So I don't know, not to get all hippie on it, but it's, it, that's just a cool aspect. And yeah. uh, you're talking about perspective and that's, that's a pretty cool perspective to look at. But yeah, hundred percent, man. Anyway. That's, 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 that, that's part of like the, the draw for me too, is like having a hand yeah. as much of it as I can, you know, like that's a, an yeah. aspect that, right. 
that I have a deep appreciation for. It's like one of those things where it's like the harder the thing is, the more I like it because the more exactly. I have to put it, the more I have to put into it. You know what I mean? Right. But absolutely. Man, so what are some of the, like you mentioned, you know, gnarly mountain bucks, you know, old mountain warriors and stuff. Yeah. So give me a sense of the types of places you're hunting, man. Like, cause to your earlier um, point, a lot of folks may not think about, you know, the Carolinas or specifically North Carolina as yeah. having mountains, you know what I mean? Like they, they think like, Oh yeah. cool. I'm going to go to the beach. You know, they don't think like chasing mountains. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's so anything you think about North Carolina, throw it out because it is nothing like what you're, what, you know, what most people, most people think North Carolina, Raleigh East, like they're going to the Outer Banks. They're going, it is nothing like that. Um, you know, it's, it's steep, very steep terrain, uh, steep mountainous, a lot of laurel, um, a lot of rhododendron. Um, there's no ag, like very, very, very little ag. Um, if any, um, it's, uh, it's rough and, and steep and, uh, you know, well, for example, I killed a bear back on some public, and uh, I was just under two miles back from the nearest parking area, and uh, it, now it was a pretty big bear. I'll give it that, but it, you know, we, it took us seven and a half hours, and we had a thousand foot of elevation gain between where I killed that bear and back to the truck, and we did that three different times, uh, to, you know, to get everything out. So right. that's what we're kind of dealing with, um, and it's it's pretty rough, and you know, a lot of times. Uh, we'll go, we do, you know, we travel a lot, hunt a lot. If we're in Ohio or somewhere like that, and they'll be like, oh, it's rough back in there. And I just kind of grin and nod. And I'm like, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. And <laughs> we just kind of look at each other and nod, you know, or wink or something. It's like, yeah, it's rough. You know, we're not going to try to make them feel bad, but it, it ain't rough. Right. It, it, ain't, it ain't rough at all uh, compared to what we're used to. Um, so, but no, it, it's a huge advantage. Um, it really is a big advantage going places because, you know, you're used to, you're used to torture, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, when you get somewhere and it's like, you look at these quote unquote ridges and they're like, you know, a hundred yards tall, you know, and they're not that steep. And you're like, huh, you know, I'll be on that ridge in two seconds. You right. Know? And yeah. compared to yeah. here, but anyways. Nice. What, uh, so knowing that you're kind of, you know, you're at home, you're hunting mountain ground and stuff like that. And you were just kind of talking about how, you know, when you travel, you know, sometimes it's a, yeah, it's it's a nice change of pace, I guess is maybe one way to say it. Yeah. How does your how does your approach change between hunting, you know, out of state or hunting hunting close to home? Well, there's one thing that I've learned, um, and I wouldn't say that it has been a painful lesson because I've had success sticking to my guns. But one thing I've learned going out of places is you have to hunt with an open mind. And uh if you come in with a dead set game plan and and that game plan isn't working. You've got to be able to change. You've got to be able to adapt. You've got to be able to, you know, do something different because if not, you're going to beat your head against the wall and you're going to waste your whole trip. Um, so if you go into things with an open mind, now you can stick in, you know, stick into something, stick to your guns and you don't want to learn, you know, if you're going on a week hunt or three day long weekend hunt, you don't want to learn a whole new style of hunting. Like, you, you know, you need to use what you know, but also have an open mind enough to say, hey, you know, I'm o I'm okay with learning something or trying something a little different. You know, especially if it's not working for you. Ohio is a great example. You can sit on a dang scrape all you want to sit here. You might kill a buck if you're lucky. But I mean, I've put trail cameras on primary scrapes and legitimately from the opening day of season to the end of the day of season, like two different bucks you might could have killed. And that's mm -hmm. assuming that you could have got away with the wind. Um, but now in Ohio, holy crap! I mean, there's good bucks tearing it up in daylight, and it's mm -hmm. like what in the 
So when I first, you know, when I first started going Ohio, for example, I'd see these primary scrapes, you know, and maybe like a transition or on a little bench or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. I'll put a camera on it, you know, catch him coming out of bed and somewhere. And then, you know, you put a camera on it and homeboy's there at 830 in the morning, tearing it up. And you're like, what, <laughs> what just happened? You know? So <laughs> again, it's a, it's an open mind type thing for me like that. I, I want to go in with my, I want to go in with what I know. I want to stick to what I know for the most part. But I also want to go in with an open mind. And that's been a struggle for me, especially on flat ground. I hate hunting flat ground. I mean, I'll just be straight up tell you, I despise flat ground hunting. I have a really hard time with it. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it does. And, and if you look at it, there's a, there's always some type of terrain. There's always mm-hmm. something to move the deer. But it's I struggle on flat ground. Um, I, I really like finding places. Like this year, we hunted Wisconsin. Um, we hunted with the... Uh, Hunting, be- hunting beast guys, Josh and uh, Dan Infall out there, and we actually were camping at one place in Wisconsin, and we were driving an hour and like 20 minutes to hunt because we found some public that had terrain. And I was like, if we got three, four days here, I want to hunt what I know how to hunt. And so we would drive back and forth to camp. And, uh, you know, it took to the you know second or third day where it's just like, okay, the deer aren't, there's not as many deer there in this public we were going to. We need to change gears. We need to try this you know, this, this river bottom hunt. And what we found was, you know, it, it worked out better. So open mind, had we had a more open mind, we would have been in a lot better shape there. Um, but, but we weren't so. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I'll agree with you, man, with the flat ground. That's like, that's a lot of what I have around me. And that is probably the, the hardest thing for me to get used to. And I'm still getting used to it after several years of hunting it. Cause it's just like, I second guess myself all the time because when you're in hill country or you're in a mountain somewhere, it's like you can see pretty definitively like where where's the path of least yeah. resistance, right? Like where, you know, right. and, and things like that. Now that mountain piece and the Poconos that I've been, you know, playing around with for the past two seasons, the challenge there mm-hmm. is, is that it's, there's so much elevation change and, mm-hmm. and it's so steep in certain areas, it's almost homogenous to where there's not yeah. like, there's no breakup and there's no different types of habitat. Yeah. Like you might walk, and I say this jokingly, but like in some instances, it's been accurate where I might walk two miles in one direction and it just be nothing but like open hardwoods that you and I could stand and throw a baseball in, yep. you know, and then all of a yep. sudden you'll find a pocket that's 200 yards long and 80 yards wide of mountain laurel that goes into like some nasty brushy stuff. And that's like yeah. where all the sign is. And you get excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then as soon as you walk out of it, there's nothing, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, you know, yep. and so... It, so I totally agree with you, like the flat ground thing, though, because like it just I think things that are homogenous in general are are hard, yeah, right? Because like the yep. things that deer want to use maybe don't stand out as much, and so it's like you know, yeah, talking with Dan, you know, good example is like, you know, talking with him. It's like I just oftentimes will find an edge and I just start following it, and I'm like I'll pick up deer sign yep. somewhere, and then once I do that, I just start following the deer sign and let the deer kind of right. show me wh- how they're using it, you know? Because like me just looking yeah. at it, I'm probably not going to be able to tell. You know, yeah. Now, I feel like I feel like in flat ground, I have to walk it a lot more often than I do hill country or things with elevation. Yeah. Like that type of stuff, I feel like my map scouting usually takes me close to where I need to be. Flat Get ground, you in ballpark. Yeah. yeah, flat ground. It's like I almost always have to like, like I'll look at it on the map and have some assumptions, and then when I walk, it's like I'm. It's completely different than what I thought yeah. looking at the map. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and one one thing that's that I've always found to be true. There's always something, 
and it like it may be it may be housing it may be you know down on the other end of the state you know if you got sometimes it's a foot it is literally 12 inches higher but that's the high ground and you're going to find sign on and like if you you can work with that um and it's you know it's difficult to find and i to your point i, I think it does take more walking for me it takes more i don't get it it's not as natural because i didn't grow up doing it um but yeah it's it's uh it, it's a different style hunting and i got a lot of respect for those guys that you know are really good at that kind of thing and dan's one of them because there's uh there's an art to it and i mean it and, and to be honest i don't I think if I grew up in a different area and if you grew up in a different area, we might see it exactly the opposite because I, I hear guys, it's like, I don't understand mountain hunting. I don't get hill hunting. And I'm like, well, you know, seems really simple. Show me a map. I can show you where some deer are, you know, it right. may not be the kind of deer you're looking for, but I can show you where some deer are. Right. So yeah, I, I think it all just comes back to, to what you're used to. And when, you know, and back to your question about going places, when I go places, I try to keep that in mind because you, you know, you've got to be realistic with what you're doing. You know, if you, you're on a time schedule and you've only got so much of it. And if you're trying, you know, if, if you can find something that you know or you can apply, you know, it's going to help you a lot. Like Ohio, I mean, I'll be honest with you, those little cute ridges and hills and hollers and things like that, they're just little miniature versions of what I grew up hunting. And so I, it's really easy to hone in on, you know, and if put stuff there. And anytime, I don't know, anytime you can add two, three, four, five, six different things together, whether it be, a, a you know, a, a transition, a bench, um, a little, you know, a little ridge, high spot, some low ground. If you can add several things together, you're in really good shape. Like if it's yeah. just one thing, eh. But if I can get four, five, six things together in one spot, then I feel good. Right. Then I'm in really good shape. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I, I think building those analogies for yourself, right, is is yeah. really important when you're going somewhere new. Like for me, I remember, you know, the first year I was I was going to Kansas, looking at maps and stuff like that. And it's obviously, I mean, there's a lot more undulation to the ground out there than what people think, you know, right. there's, you yeah. don't get ridges or whatever, but you'll get like little rises and stuff like that. And there'll be like yeah. three foot, three foot right. drops and stuff like that in certain areas. And I was looking at maps and I was starting to get frustrated because I, I mean, I couldn't get out there to scout or anything like that. So I was just doing yeah. all map scouting before I was right, just going, going straight in. Yeah. Yep. Just going to go in blind and, and, and try to figure it out. And I was talking to Eddie Claypool and he was telling me about, you know, just kind of looking at those, uh, you know, essentially like the drainages or deep cuts that they have, like in the middle yeah. of like these CRP fields and stuff like that. And he was kind of explaining right. them to me and it dawned on me all of a sudden. I was like, cause he was like, yeah, he's like, you get into these drainages. He was like, and you know, there'll be like a little break off to the right or a break off to the left. He's like, they're usually mm -hmm. not in the main drainage. He's like, but if you get to the end of like a deep drainage, he's like a brushy mm -hmm. end. He's like where it kind of splits off. He's like those splits are where, you know, the bucks want to spend time. And I went, mm -hmm. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, that would be like a secondary ridge. He was yeah. like, yeah. he was like, yeah, he's like, I never thought of it like that. I was like, I was like, so that drainage is like, yeah. it's just an inverted ridge. And he was like, basically, he's like, yep. yeah, I was like, so those bucks are in those secondary drainages, which are secondary the ridges. Same thing, bro. Yeah. Yep. And so as soon as I figured that yep. out, it was like, boom, it started making a lot more sense to me, you know, yep. but it was just like one little thing. Right. That's all. And I'll tell you, I, I'll be honest with you. There's, there's something that I've said a long time. There are two different types of people in this world. There are hunters and there are killers. And if you are a killer, you will find a way and right. you, it will, you will make it make sense somewhere, somehow. Um, and, you know, they say it all the time, 90% of the guys, you know, or 10% of the guys kill 90% of the deer and that's the guy, you know, right. and, and you figure out stuff like that. Um, you know, that's, it, it's like clockwork and some of the, you know, I, I, I don't think like for Nathan Killen, for example, I don't think he's ever been elk hunting in his life, 
but I bet you a dollar if he goes two years, he'll probably kill one. That's just, yeah. I mean, I've never been elk hunting. I, I can't say that for certain, but I'd, I'd, I'd put money on him. Just, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't he, bet against he, him. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely would not. That little, I mean, he, he will, he will get in there and he will make it happen. So like I said, I, you know, you take some of these guys and, and you, you put them in those situations. And, and like I said, you're going to figure it out. I think, Yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's it. But yeah. Um, anyways, that's what I found, or at least the guys that I'm around. Right. Man, you mentioned primary scrapes, community scrapes, you know, Mm -hmm. people call it all kinds of different things, but I'm, I'm curious for you, you know, from your perspective, like, do you, you know, especially in in the mountains, are you, well, I guess two questions, what time of year is your favorite time of year to hunt? Mm -hmm. And then second part of that is, is when you're talking about scrapes, ones that you do Mm -hmm. find that are active, right? Cause I know, you know, you're, a lot of pressure, most likely mountain area, probably deer density isn't like astronomical. Right. And so yeah. scrapes probably aren't getting used a ton during daylight. Right. But have you noticed any small, like two, three day windows around certain scrapes? Or if there is, is there a two to three day window where if like you are going to focus on a scrape, like this is the two to three day mm-hmm. window where I know like that's, that's the shot. Um, so when, it, when your first question was you asking what time I, or what time of year I like scrapes or no, what time just of year what I like time of year you like in general like if if you're gonna start bow okay. hunting like what time of year is your yeah. favorite time to bow hunt? Man, I'll be honest with you, I used to love the rut and and I mean if you go on YouTube, I Lord's blessed me pretty good on on some rut hunts and 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 done well there. But anymore, I've got to where I like that early season more than anything. That first our season comes in second Saturday in September, and I'm gonna tell you right now. More big deer get killed between the second Saturday in September and October twentieth. Then, I mean, we well, they kill some big deer, and that and here lately, that's when I've got on the biggest deers. And last year, I got an opportunity, the biggest deer I've ever had an opportunity at in any state. Um, mm-hmm. here back in the mountains, and oh my God, I could puke even thinking about it. Still, I can't even. <laughs> if Nathan listens to this, him and Alan are going to roll their eyes because they've heard you know heard this a million times. But that still, but that early season, um. At, I I have heard uh, Alan talk about it enough, and I think he is dead on. There's something about October 14th through 16th that is weird. I don't know what it is. Um, every year we, get, we see good deer, 14th through 16th, um, right around uh, right around the uh, the bit again the beginning of the season. Um, I'll take that first week. I don't care if it's like 85 degrees. I'll take it every. I love that time frame. Mm. Um, you get on those deer, they're unpressured. Um, we're hunting primary primary food sources. If we got, uh, you know, if it's a good white oak year, um, it's a good red oak year. Um, I've killed, I've been on a lot of big bucks on chestnut oaks. Um, for some reason, chestnut oaks I've done well on. I know some folks will walk right by a chestnut oak, but I I really like a chestnut. Um, and you know, you get in there and you can find those little saplings, you know. And people say all the time, "Oh, it's a little buck." That ain't true. Right? <laughs> you know, big, big, big bucks take care of some little trees too. And uh, so you get in there and uh, you find that sign. It all oh, gets me tore up. You get in there now. You don't want it to be too tore up. You get in there, and if it's too tore up, I'm not really that interested in it. Um, but if you get in there and there's pretty good sign, fresh poop in it, you, you can find acorns. And if you find acorns, poop, and fresh rubs, little rubs, oh, I'm all about it. I'm, I'm, I, I can't sleep at night. I'm so excited to get in there. Usually, when I find those three combinations, I'm in really good shape. Um, but that, that's the answer. Early season is it, you know, that to me right now, that's where I'm really liking more than anything. Uh, okay. Seems like during a rut, you you see a lot more pressure, and you see a whole lot of two year olds. And um, 
I think there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. I feel like I, at least here I've had better luck with with better deer early. And the guys with me, uh, my buddy that hunts with me all the time, hunting since a little kid, um, Ethan Henson, he always kills a good deer early season. He's on something uh, yeah. first week, and you know that's kind of how it is. But as far as scrapes go, um, it it's the typical political answer of it depends. Um, it, a lot depends. Not every scrape is created equal. Not every primary scrape is created equal. If you know, one thing that uh, Nathan likes to say, and I, I think he's as right as can be, just because a buck isn't like like this standing in the scrape doesn't mean he's not checking it. So if you can think about things like that and put and figure out what they're doing or where they're going, that you know that scrape, they may be checking that scrape, but you may never see him in that scrape if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So um, they're really good places to you know one way I use them a lot is is to see what's there because you know a lot of times even if it's two or three in the morning they're gonna they're gonna be on that scrape um but in two uh lately i've noticed a lot of early early scrapes i'm talking late september mm. that have been very productive very productive um i don't i don't know why uh, and but and nathan and i were just talking about this the other day actually i guess it was about a month ago we were talking about super early scrapes and he Virginia doesn't come in until October 1st, so he was saying he really wished he could hunt September uh, just based off that. But anyways, I don't know if I answered your question yeah, or no, not. You, I, I got on a rabbit hole in the first question uh, and got you, lost there. But <laughs> you, you, totally, you totally did. Um, I was like that 14th or the 16th interesting answer as well that, that you mentioned. Yeah. I know for me, I've got certain ones like I've grown to love. So my season does come in like mid-September, like around 15th, 19th. Yeah. just depends on like when right. that Saturday falls. Um, I've grown to kind of really love, I've had in PA, I've had like the best encounters the past two years on these new pieces. I've been kind of fooling with, um, on the 18th, both years and the year prior, yeah. it was the 16th. So two years in a row, the mm-hmm. 18th and then the 16th, the year prior to where it's just yeah. like the deer that I knew was in the area and I wasn't sure where exactly he was going to be like, and I've talked to my buddy, Greg Litzinger about this too, where it's like, we've typically seen at least around here cause he's in Jersey. So he's not far from me that typically mm-hmm the more mature deer that's in that particular area of that scrape, that community scrape I might be monitoring, mm-hmm. the more, the more mature deer in the area will make his first mistake in daylight between like the 16th and like the 20th or yeah. 16th and 21st is like what we've kind of seen. And so I've kind of prioritized mm-hmm. those dates. The early September thing is yeah. interesting because I saw that play out specifically two years ago on a deer. I'll have to text you a picture, or a video of this deer. It was a, for around here, it was a deer that like, it might be like a one time that you might ever see a deer in like a suburb, not yeah. suburban area, but like this general area that gets as much pressure. Like he was just kind of a freak. And I had him on a scrape at uh, the very beginning of September. And I wasn't real sure why. Yeah. And I had watched this scrape for like two years, but I really didn't put the puzzle pieces together because the first year I watched it, it got activity during the summer. And I knew it was a primary scrape just because the activity it was getting all year round. And then that year during the season, it was okay, but it wasn't anything off the charts. Um, right. The following year, I saw this deer show up. There was a big deer that was on it the year before, but then this, the following year, this like hammer showed up and I was kind of watching mm-hmm. him and I should have went in and hunted him earlier because when I finally got in there, what I realized was, is like that scrape along with a couple other ones I had been kind of watching white oaks mm-hmm. out the wazoo in that area. And that thing yeah. was cracking from like the first week of September all the way to like like but yeah, October that's, 1st, roughly like it took him like a good solid two, like three weeks to hoover up all yep. the, all the acorns that were in that area. Um, I'm saying yep. that wrong. I know acorns like, sorry. 
<laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's as broad as it is long. I say acorns. A lot of people say acorns. You know, tomato, right. tomato, whatever. Right, as right. long as as long as we can agree that it's the Appalachian Mountains, because I swear to Bob, if I hear people say Appalachian, I'm like oh, Appalachian. No. I'm, I'm no, with you. There's, with Appalachian. A, there's an invisible T there that you got to throw in. So right, right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but like the I, September I scrape, uh, I see the same thing. I see the same thing, and a lot of time, what I've seen, yeah. at least for for me, at least, it's been food related. You know, that's the thing that I've kind yeah. of really noticed that those ones mm-hmm. that are like not just close to dough bedding, but close to dough bedding and that there happens to be a primary food source during that time of year. Yeah. Like that's the thing that's going to make it pop off. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I'd, I'd, for some reason that that early September, that's what I dream of. Now, I know a lot of guys are like, I honestly, I, I'm I'm considering taking a lot more time off of work and like like kind of skipping the rut thing. Like, I know, no, this sounds backwards to hunt in the first week of the season, the first two weeks of the season, because that's when we're getting our opportunities that are big mature bucks. I mean, it's not that we don't get opportunities outside of that, but it's just like, I don't know, like last year, <clears throat> this one particular buck, I had found a chestnut oak and, um, and it was, it was on the, you know, it was on the top side of a saddle and had a really good access plan. I got in there. I knew there were good deer in the area. I mean, I'm talking, you know, thigh size rubs in the area. And I, I knew there were a couple hammers in there and uh, we had trail cam pictures of one of them. And uh, so I got in there and I actually, I even said to the camera, I was like, he's going to, he's going to work across this saddle. He's going to J hook into the thermals underneath this chestnut oak. And I'm going to shoot him right there at about nine yards. And as soon as I said that, I started like laughing. I'm like, at least that's what I want to happen. You know, we'll take right, whatever. Right. And it's a pre-roll. I'm just being goofy. Dude, he did exactly that. He came across that saddle. He worked his whole way in, and he J-hooked right underneath me at like nine yards. And I just blew it. I just messed up the shot. And I just shot an inch forward and hit him in the shoulder, or two inches forward and hit him in the shoulder and didn't get any penetration because it was one of them deals. I don't know, not really going into all the kind of craziness, but it was one of them deals where there was nothing vital. It was low, way low and forward, nothing there. Um, Trailed him for a long time, you know, and – it was hard to trail with my tears, you know. Right. <laughs> my boots were slipping on the mud from my tears while I was just trailing him, you know. But no, but and that that's the dream hunt. And that's right. that was on October sixth last year. And uh that was oh gosh, and I, I can't wait. Like right now it's turkey season. I've turkey hunted all day. But I promise you, I was I was dreaming of September today, looking at different stuff and different trees and wondering if if the acorns made it through the the cold snap, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah. Anyways, no, I, I'm a big, I, I'm getting to be where I, I would rather hunt early September than anything in the world. Yeah, I'm getting but, to the point where And there's I always there's something about that, like, new season where yeah. you're not burnt out yet. Yeah. So it's like you just love every second of everything, and you're just like, oh, this is the greatest. Um, so what were we talking about? Sorry, guys, we were, uh, had a little technical difficulty there. Our internet is just not being, uh, here in Pennsylvania, doesn't doesn't like us. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to pick things up. So I think what we were talking about is you, you mentioned that, you know, that early part of the season, especially September is really that kind of time frame where, you know, you're really, you're really kind of enjoying it. And what I was going to say is that I've kind of started swaying that way to mm-hmm. where I try to get most of my hunting in and PA in that September, October, early mm-hmm. October time frame. And then I usually take my rut trip somewhere where I need more so luck to be on my side because I don't know where exactly what's happening, wherever I'm going. You know, um, and so that's kind of how I, how I break it up. So I don't think you're crazy at all. I think what you're, I think what your plan is kind of makes sense. Yeah. 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 I don't know. That's, that's, 
I'm I'm really thinking about that, and it's you know, and I'll be honest, a lot of it too is I've got a little girl, and you know that's a good time like doing that kind of thing. Luckily, our season opens early, so I'm staying here home, close to home, and I don't know, there's just something about coming home and sleeping in my own bed, and you know, we go places, and I have no issue sleeping in my truck or sleeping in you know a little tent. I do that all the time, but there's something about it, you know, coming home and killing one and seeing her face when it's on the back of the truck and pulling that heart out and, and cooking it that night is just, you know, something about it. Anyways, makes yeah. me, makes me dream of September. I won't nice. be able to sleep tonight. Nice. <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> man, with that, man, I know you got a little one at home. Want to be sensitive to your time and uh, appreciate you, you jumping on and, and, and doing a pot. We'll definitely have to do a couple more of these, man. Cause I, I think we, I feel like we're, Absolutely. we're kind of birds of a feather, but uh, before I let you get Absolutely. going, let folks know where they can find out more about this, uh, about everything you got going on with uh, the YouTube channel, everything you got going on with the podcast. Yeah, so you can uh, you can go on over to the, the to YouTube and it's just the Stick Boys. You can search the Stick Boys and you'll find you'll find several things. Um, we're hoping to hoping to get a lot more going. Everything's kind of you know it's YouTube right now. It's kind of off time for YouTube. Turkey season picks up a little bit, but you can get on there and check out some pretty cool stuff. Um, we got stuff you know from back 2016 until now. Um, and a couple, couple really cool hunts, a couple of the hunts that we've been talking about on here or on there. Um, and of course we're on Instagram, Facebook at stick boys. Um, we do a, a podcast that is really woodsmanship centric. Um, so like our main sort of thesis is to get away from the gadgetry and the craziness that turns in, you know, the Notting Hill, like acorn cruncher type thing and get more into the, 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 the nuts and bolts of why these deer are doing what they are doing. Like why, you know, how do these thermals work? How does this wind working with the thermals? How are they interacting together? And how does he know what that's happening? So where can I kill him knowing all that kind of thing? So that's kind of our, that's kind of what we work with all the time. That's our jam. That's what we talk about. Um, so yeah, you can check over that. It's anywhere you find podcasts. Um, but yeah, any of those, and I'm, I'm Dalton Lewis on there, um, just on, on all their social media, but you know, we try to do everything. I do everything hunting stuff through the the stick boys and uh, you'll see my my buddies on there you'll see nathan on there nathan's got you know nathan's with us he's part of us he's a stick boy so he uh he puts some hunts on there and uh well we have a good time we got we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up this summer we um we try to hold back like half of our videos for the kind of lead up to the season the next year if that makes any sense mm -hmm. so we got some exciting stuff coming out some cool hunts and watch my dad shoot a turkey three times yesterday <laughs> <laughs> he actually hit it all three. The first shot was really good. Or no, I wouldn't say really good. It was pretty good. And he shoots a longbow too. And this thing was, I mean, it was a long shot. I'll give him credit. It was every bit of three and a half to four yard shot. And it, the first era hit him pretty good. And the thing just kept fighting the decoy. He was so tore up. So dad's like shoots him again, but it was like hand grenade with the hand pulled. Like he was just shooting, you know, and he hits it low and right. And it just goes right back to the decoy and starts fighting. And the third arrow, he just, he hammers it. And uh, so we got some really cool stuff coming up. I'll have to send you that video. It's hilarious watching him awesome. just grab arrows, shooting at it. It's awesome. Um, That's but awesome. anyway, so yeah, you'll check it out. We don't, we try not to take life too serious because ain't none of us getting out alive. You know what I mean? Right. So. <laughs> well, man, I'll let you get out of this one alive. Uh, I appreciate you All coming right. on, brother. And uh, you take yeah, care man. and uh, you're, you and your family be, be well. Yes, sir. You too. Good to, good to be on. Have a good night. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those few things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to the partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. 
Spartan Forge, Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.